this evening, leading us to the throne of God, Brother Warner Weinhardt from Kitchener and Brother Robert Ritzman to assist. Brothers. Shall we pray? Our God and Heavenly Father, it is with great joy that we have gathered here and we do worship and praise your name, even as the teens have done. We want to lift up your name and magnify your name, which is above every name, and acknowledge that you alone are God. And you have created us so that we might indeed glorify thee and serve thee all of our days, and that we might be able to live with thee eternally. Now we ask, Lord, that you would bless your word unto each one of us. For we do ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to read this evening the words of Jesus as it's found in Revelations chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, where the Lord himself says, And unto the angel of the church of Tusardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy." He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." What we have just read together is just about all that the Bible has to say about the church in Sardis. We don't know who started the church there. There's no mention that the Apostle Paul in his journeys went to Sardis. He may have. Apart from what we read here, we don't know much more from Scripture what the church of Sardis was all about. What we do know is that Jesus himself spoke these words, and he said of the church in Sardis that thou hast a name that thou livest. The church in Sardis evidently had a reputation. For what? We're not exactly sure. We can 
conclude some things from this text. Perhaps a reputation for being a large church, an active church, for having converts. There might have been all kinds of things that the church in Sardis had a reputation for. But we do know that in the same sentence, the Lord himself said, Thou hast a name that thou livest, but art dead. Now we know that the church in Sardis was not altogether dead, and that the Lord, as he spoke this, was not indicating that it was all finished for Sardis, because as we read on, we can read that even though they had let certain things slip and certain things change, and they weren't walking altogether as they should, that there was still hope. And even though there were some that had departed and, and left from what they should have stayed with, there were those that were faithful. And the Lord had a message for the church in Sardis. But we know that the Lord was not only speaking to the church of Sardis in Asia Minor. And not only was he speaking to the church of some church age throughout history, but that in fact the Lord is also speaking to us tonight. And perhaps the very message that he wants to bring to our hearts, into our lives, is much the same as the one that he brought to the church in Sardis. Thou hast a name that thou livest, but art dead. And you may have been wondering as I read this text, this is talking about my church. I have to tell you that I have visited some churches and thought and said what perhaps some of you have thought and said, even said it to those around me. This church is dying. This church is dead. looking around and, and just wondering what the future holds. The subtitle in my Bible calls this text The Dying Church. A church that had some life in it, but there was evidence that it was dying. Things were going wrong. There was trouble on the horizon. And I want to assure you that I don't have any particular church in my mind right now or as I read this text. The church that I go to in Kitchener Quite often we have visitors and they, not sure what the right word is, commend, compliment, 
the size of our church, the number of people that attend, the Sunday school that numbers over a hundred, the number of youth and young families, the fact that we plan to build a church, Lord willing, next year. And no doubt they do that because they think that here's a church that's alive, but I tell you, the church in Kitchener has the potential to be more dead, more dying than your church that may have dropped in half in the last few years. A church that is alive is alive because its members are alive and vibrant. You know, as we saw the choir, the teen choir, standing here tonight, I think in all of our hearts, in all of our minds, there's hope. There's a future. There's potential. We can't, we dare not let it die. It's not about your church. It's not about my church. Because it isn't your church. And it isn't my church. It's the Lord's church. It's Christ's church. And that's why it's the words of Jesus here that are speaking to the churches there in Asia Minor. Because He had a burden for His church. The very church that he redeemed with his own precious blood. Brothers and sisters, we should never forget that this is his church that we belong to. The one, as the Bible says, to which he is the head. Jesus is the head of his church. He is the savior of the body. He is the one that has redeemed us. He is the one that gave his life for you and me. He is the one that sanctifies the church, that cleanses it, as the scripture says, with the washing of the water of the word. And he is the one that ultimately wants to present His church, His body, you and me, before the Father. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. God has redeemed us And he will keep his church alive. Nevertheless, his word has gone out to the church in Sardis, to the churches down through the ages, and to us today. The message is, he that has an ear to hear, 
let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Listen! Our Lord, our Savior, wants to speak to our hearts. And he wants us to be strong in the Lord. He came to the church in Sardis because he was concerned for those believers and he wanted to see them revived. He wanted to, to, to breathe new life into their existence. And this is the message that he gave to them. I'm not going to take all that he says in the order that it appears here in these verses. But this is what he says. First of all, remember. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. Remember how thou hast received and heard. How did we receive? We received through faith in Jesus Christ and his atoning work upon the cross, the salvation of our souls. It wasn't our own work. It wasn't our own doing. It wasn't our own strength. And we've been reminded of that. And we are reminded here tonight again that it was the grace of God. And the grace of God alone that allowed us to be saved. We are saved by grace, brothers and sisters, and you, my friends. There's no other way. Not by works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says, remember that. We received the Lord Jesus in simple, childlike faith, and we need to be reminded that we have so little that we can give. All that I am, all that I hope to be, O Son of God, I owe to Thee. Remember that. The Bible says, what do you have? What do you possess that you didn't receive? And why would you boast as if you were responsible for it? We have nothing to glory in but in the Lord, in the precious blood of Jesus. And beloved, we need to be reminded that we owe it all to him. Perhaps even as a songwriter who said, All the things that I love and hold dear to my heart, they're just borrowed. They're not really mine. Jesus, only let me use them to brighten my life. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord.
Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you've brought me from and where I could have been. Remember I'm human and humans forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Remember what you have received. Remember what you have heard and do something about it. But the Lord also said, repent. He wanted to show them where they're at and He told them they needed to repent. And we have heard the call go out to the unconverted that they need to repent. And as we know so well that there is no other way to be saved other than that we would repent, turn to God in repentance and put our faith and trust in Jesus. And you need to be reminded of that, my friend. But you and I, brothers and sisters, we also need to be reminded that we too need to repent for the Bible says that if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. We too need to recognize individually, collectively, that our ways also are not perfect before the Lord and humbly ask him to forgive us. And to give us the grace and the strength that we could do better. And he will forgive. And he will heal. But the Lord also told them that they needed to be watchful. And what an important message that is. Down through the ages... So often the Lord even said, as he taught upon his time on on earth here, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Watch out. Look out. And perhaps, only perhaps, as the Lord spoke these words to those believers there in Sardis, He was reminding them of of a piece of their own history. Sardis was, was an influential city at this time in the first century. But it had even more influence centuries earlier. At a time when it, it thrived and was, was one of the richest cities in the ancient world. And back in the 6th century before Christ, it was ruled by a man named Croesus, who was then considered to be the richest man in the world. And the influence of that place was, was, went far and wide until Cyrus the Persian came along. And he besieged the city that was like a fortress on a hill. And Croesus and his army and, and the inhabitants were secure on the hill. And there was little 
or nothing that Cyrus and his great army could do. Until one night, one of Croesus's soldiers was looking out over the wall in the dead of night and accidentally, carelessly, his helmet fell off and fell down the wall. And not thinking that anyone was watching, he went down a secret pathway, as the story goes, to retrieve his helmet. Well, a Persian soldier was watching and took the word back that there is a secret pathway. And it wasn't long till the army went up that pathway and destroyed Croesus and his city and his army. One little slip, one little mistake, and it was all over. Tragedy struck. Beloved, the Bible tells us, Jesus is telling us that we also need to be watching and to be careful. We've heard it even in this week, but it's worth mentioning again where the Bible says that wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Watch out for those things that can beset you, that can take your eyes off of Jesus. As it says, you're looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. The enemy of our soul, he wants us to take our eyes off Jesus. He wants us to stop being careful, to stop being watchful. But the Bible says, watch and pray and be careful. But it also says that we should strengthen the things that remain. Jesus was telling the believers in Sardis, you've let certain things slip. You've... you've gone off of the path that I want you to be on. I want you to strengthen the things that remain. And hasn't that been the theme of this whole week? That we would strengthen, that we would be strengthened in the Lord. And we've heard about how we can, what we can do to strengthen our relationship with the Lord to strengthen our relationship with each other, to strengthen our our marriages, our families, our churches. And it is true that we need to do all of those things. And if we, beloved, only do half of what we have learned, we will be all the better for it. As individuals, personally, and collectively as a church, And we will be far from dead or dying. We will be alive and we will be vibrant. And we will be as we ought to be. 
you know, strength, being strengthened and strengthened in the Lord, even as we have learned this week, is not only doing certain things that will make us stronger, but it's also not doing things that weaken us. In April of 2002, there was a contingent of Canadian soldiers conducting live exercises in Afghanistan. Overhead, there were two American pilots that saw the live live fire. And then, after some tragic misjudgment and communication, thinking that they were being fired upon and, and seemingly overstepping the protocol for, for them to take action, they fired a 500-pound laser-guided missile that killed four of the soldiers, wounded numerous other ones, and changed the lives of many forever. What a tragedy that friendly fire incident was. But you know, we too can be guilty of friendly fire, and often are. The enemy is out there. It's the prince of darkness. It's the devil himself. The one that we've heard and learned about. It's not us. It's not you, my brother, my sister. But there are times when we too can be guilty of friendly fire. When we're not careful what we say and Great damage is done. And the moment that pilot pulled the trigger, there was no bringing back that bomb. And it didn't miss its mark. And it did exactly what it was designed to do. And how easily words can come out of our mouths that can hurt, that can kill that can harm, that can do damage. And once they leave our mouth, there's no bringing them back. We need to heed the scripture that very clearly tells us, Speak not evil, one of another brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou be a judge of the law, thou art not a doer, but a judge. Give that some thought. And be careful about friendly fire. The Bible also says, and Jesus said here, that they needed to hold fast. Hold fast. Hang on. 
Don't give up. There's a lot of discouraging things that happen in our lives and in our churches. And sometimes, packing it in seems like the easiest way out. Giving up is easier than pressing on. But the Lord is speaking tonight, and He's saying, Hold fast. Hang on. Don't give up. It's worth fighting for. And we want something to be there for our children. And God's work is worthy of the effort that we can put in with His help to build His kingdom. Hold fast. What are we to hold fast to? The Bible says that we should hold fast the profession of faith. Our profession of faith. Our faith in the living God, the eternal God, the all-powerful God, the one that even as, as, as we've heard and been reminded, is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. The one through whom we can do all things. And indeed, we can. The Bible also tells us that we should hold fast to the confidence and the hope that we have. The confidence in this great God and that He will come through for us, that He will help us to be victorious, that He will help us to the very end. Never let go of that confidence. You can put your trust, your confidence in Him. He won't let you down. You can put your hope in Him because we have a hope that is eternal. So hang on to your profession of faith. Don't waver. Don't swerve. Don't give up. Hang on. And do so with confidence and with hope. But the Bible also tells us that we should hold fast to that which is good. Hang on to the things that are good. The things that edify. The things that build up. That build you up. That build up the body, the church, Christ's church. Hang on to those things. Perhaps it's also implying that there are times when we need to let go some of the very things that may weaken us, that prevent us from growing, that perhaps are not all that good or as good as we, as we think they are. 
We should hold fast to the things that are good. And some might, and in part, correctly interpret this, that we should hang on to the way things were. But you know, in reality, things are not the way they were. Things are constantly changing. Our lives are constantly changing. The way you do your work, the way I do my work, is changing. We recognize that in our day-to-day life. We need to recognize that in the Church of Christ. The Church is not what it was 2,000 years ago, in everything the same. It has changed, and it must continue to change. And you know that I'm not talking about those precepts, those doctrines that are in the Bible that should never be changed. We need to hang on to those things that are in God's Word and the doctrine of His Word and preserve that for generations to come. That's not the place to change. That's not the place to compromise. That's not the place to look at how we can do things differently. But do things differently is something that we need to look at. And there are some churches, and perhaps mine included, and perhaps all of our churches, that need to consider that we need to do some things differently. Or there may be a few more for sale signs on some of our churches. Or we might go through more of the discouragement of seeing our young people not coming to the Lord, our children, or coming and leaving, and a lot of the other things that go along with that. There is room for change. You know, we, we as a denomination, we could say that we're not on the cutting edge of Christianity. We're not out front trying new things. And perhaps that is to our advantage. We can, we can look at what others have done and we can learn from their mistakes and not make the same ones. But at the same time, we can learn from their successes and we can copy them. And we should not be afraid of changes like that, of new ideas, of ways that we can do things differently to build the body of Christ, the church of Christ, If it wasn't for that kind of vision, that kind of trying something new, we very possibly would not be here tonight. 
And what the brothers that that started camp more than 50 years ago did was not a, a brand new idea, a novel idea. Others were doing it. But it was a great idea. And there are more great ideas, and we better latch on to some of them if the church is going to survive. Our churches are going to survive. The church of Jesus Christ will survive. There's no question about it. The Lord himself said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He will preserve his church. The question is, are we going to be a vital part of that? Are we going to be there for the lost and dying world? Are we going to be there for our children and for coming generations? Are we going to have something that is viable? Something that people will want to be a part of? Where there is a candle that is burning. Because we are a candlestick. We are sitting on a candlestick. We're a candle on a candlestick that the Lord himself has placed where your church, where my church is. Ask yourself, how is that candle burning? Is it just a light flicker? Is it burning out? Or is it burning strongly? Is there oil in the lamp? Are we being the light of the world, the salt of the earth? Are we making a difference? The Lord wants us to burn brightly. And He wants us to keep doing that. And if it takes new ways and new ideas for us to to grow and to be what He wants us to be, we shouldn't be afraid of that. God wants us to be overcomers, to be victorious. And with God's help, we can, we shall. The Bible says here that he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I want to be there. The Lord wants us to be there. By God's grace, with his help, may we all be there. We can overcome. Why? Because the Lord is our strength. Why? Because he's a great God. Somewhat paraphrased. Don't you know it? Haven't you heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, doesn't faint, doesn't get weary, doesn't get tired. There's no searching out of his understanding. He gives power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increases strength. Even the young shall faint and be weary. The young men 
shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. And I know that that there's probably a good number of you that have come to camp this year to be encouraged, to be strengthened. And you want to overcome some of that discouragement and perhaps some of the disappointment that you've experienced. Perhaps overcome temptation or sin. Overcome some of the difficulties that you're experiencing, perhaps in your own life, perhaps in your own church. The Lord, our God, is saying to us, Fear not, for I am with thee. Don't be dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Our God is going to be there for us. The Lord himself is going to build his church. And he wants us to be a part of it. And he will be there to help us do it. And thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.